You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Looking forward to this morning, um, the book of Genesis is where we're going to be, Genesis 1. And I can tell you, if I can be honest with you today, I uh, feel like a guy that committed to climb a mountain with his buddies, only to realize they were going to go climb Mount Everest. So it feels a little bit like the, uh, the time that I agreed to run a half marathon with my wife. I did not know what I was getting into. And, uh, you know, Genesis is one of those books that you don't approach lightly, um, but but after looking at it and studying and, and, and getting prepared for this today, I'm excited about the, the possibilities and the importance of this book to every Christian life. And I'm grateful uh, for the opportunity to preach through it. And so if you found it, hopefully you found it. It hasn't taken you that long. As Brother Chad mentioned in his message a couple weeks ago, uh, he was preaching out of Genesis. And Brother Mark Ledoux has been preaching out of the book of Genesis in our Sunday school class the last few weeks, so we're going to get all, we're going to get lots of Genesis coming up, but I don't think it's, uh, it's going to hurt us at all. And so Genesis chapter 1, if you've found it, let's stand. And uh, we're not going to read a very long passage. As a matter of fact, this might be the shortest passage I've ever had people stand to read. And uh, we're going to read the first four words. Okay, so let's see if we can do this together. Are you ready? Let's read it together. Ready, begin. In the beginning, God. Some were not paying attention, but the rest got it. The first four words, let's read it again. Are you ready? In the beginning, God. Now, don't look at your Bible. Let's see if we can do it by memory. Are you ready? Begin. In the beginning, God. There's a lot said in that phrase. Those four words probably mean more to us as the human race than anything else. In the beginning, God. And, there's not a, and I've told people this already. It's not an explanation. It's not an interpretation. It's a declaration. In the beginning, God. And if you will accept that, and then, and then after the message today as I preach through this, Uh, realize the importance of that in your life, in the beginning, God, then I think we'll be doing well, and as we approach this book, uh, we'll probably be well on our way uh, to having a transformed life. Because if our life starts with God, and everything we do starts with God, there's really not a way to go wrong. In the beginning, God. Let's pray. Lord, I love you, and I'm grateful for this truth, and I I say that all the time, just I'm grateful. And uh, I do feel a little bit, it's a daunting task. I do feel uh, somewhat overwhelmed at the thought, but there's so much here and so much help. I pray today that you would help us to see it, that you would help me to convey it, and Lord, that we would have an idea of where life is best, and that is when we start with God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I was able to, to spend some time this week uh, with, a, with a young, engaged couple. 
and they're preparing to get married. And that's always an exciting time in the life of, uh, of a couple. And, and, and uh, when you talk to them, one of the things that I like to ask young couples uh, when we're talking about their upcoming wedding is I like to ask the question, so how did you meet? And when you ask that question to engage couples especially, um, they both kind of they get a little smirk or smile on their face and they get a little silly and you hear a little bit of a chuckle and, and, and they're just so in love. They're just so happy. And, and even if their story is boring, and most of them are, okay? <laughs> I'm just being honest. But in their mind, it's the most romantic story they've ever heard. And that's okay with me. I like to hear it. I like to ask them about it and see the smile and, and see their face turn a little red as they look at each other and, and they talk about how, I mean, it was just a one-of-a-kind one encounter. The, nobody's ever met like this before. They met each other at church. Which is a good place to, by the way, I mean, in the beginning, God, that's no better way to start your relationship than meeting at church. And if you didn't meet at church, start out at church. I mean, get to church and... And put God first. I, I just love to hear how God brings people together. And when you hear the beginning of their story, it gives you a special insight into who they are and how they became who they are. You, you have to hear the beginning to have a clear picture of that relationship. It's the most important part of the story. And it's the best part of the story. You know, the same is true as if, if you're reading a book or you're watching something, a program on television... The beginning is essential to your understanding of the story. Uh, no one reads a book by starting in the middle and just going from there through the ending. I was talking about this with Brother Charles this week, and we were talking about how if you miss the beginning, it, you'd almost rather just not even watch it or read it because you can't really get it. You don't really understand it. You cannot fully understand the story unless you start at the beginning. And even if you figure out what's going on, if, if you don't understand what happened when it started, you don't really understand it. And folks, today the Bible is no different. An understanding of the beginning it makes everything else more clear. And many people view the Bible as a collection of episodes or that they, they may or may not be connected. But this book is not made of fragmented stories. This is not episodic or it's not just a, an episode after episode that are disjointed. No, this is a serial account. S-E-R-I-A-L, meaning, you know, there's one thing is an episode and it's this episode's disconnected and this episode's disconnected. But a serial means that every episode is connected and leading to an ending. And the Bible really is more of a serial than it is episodic. Even if one to the next doesn't seem related, there's always a running thread from start to finish, from beginning to end. The Bible is one long, connected narrative. And it's not a story of science, although scientists would do well to study the Bible. They should not, they should not ignore the Bible. We've heard some very interesting things this morning and in the last couple of weeks from Brother Mark Ledoux teaching out of Genesis and, and he was talking about science and, and how scientists think they've got it right and, and, and they ignore what the Bible says because they don't believe that it's, that it's accurate. But if you, if you, there's, this book has never been scientifically contradicted or disproven. So scientists would do well to read the Bible. That should give us confidence in its authority. It's also not only a collection of biographies, although it contains many accounts of men and women with life lessons for all of us. 
It's not just the book of the law, although if you read the book, if you read the Bible, you certainly get a clear picture of what's right and wrong in God's mind. It's also not simply a book of history, although historians would also do well to learn from this book because, again, nothing you read in the Bible has ever been debunked by historical evidence. It's all supported. It wasn't written, by, uh, written to be a dry chronicle of events or the biography of a nation only, although it certainly does that. One commentator named Ross said this about Genesis, it's less interested in recording events for the sake of history than in using these events as vehicles for communicating the verities or the truthfulness of biblical faith. Uh, the, the accounts, the stories, the events recorded are not in and of themselves just to be something we read and we, and we say amen to and then move on. No, they are a vehicle for a larger communication of truth regarding biblical faith. And as much as the Bible contributes to science, as much as it contributes to history, this is a book of theology. This is the study of God. And it's laid out in narrative form, which makes it real interesting. I mean, I don't know how people read the Bible these days and say they're not really getting much out of it or it's boring or, I mean, you just, just pick a passage and start reading it. Okay, maybe some in Leviticus. If you don't really have context, it, it may be hard. But, but listen, this story is a narrative and it's full of excitement and it's full of great storylines, but it's all connected, trying to convey as a vehicle to us biblical faith. It's a study of theology from start to finish. It's a serial storyline connected from Genesis through Revelation. And its connection is not history. Its connection is not science or law. The thread running throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is God revealing himself to mankind. God is the central character. And though it's certainly a significant part of the narrative that mankind is, uh, we're a significant part of the narrative, but this book is a portrait of God. When we read the Bible, what does it say about God? That's the question we should always ask when we start. And it all begins in Genesis 1. See, Genesis is the foundation for all that God wants us to know. Genesis has themes that are carried throughout the Bible. There are at least 200 direct quotes or allusions, A-L-L, allusions to the book of Genesis in the New Testament. At least 200. There are over 100 quotes or references in the New Testament from the first 11 chapters of Genesis alone. Every New Testament author, and this is interesting, every New Testament author refers to or quotes from the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, um, in, and every single author does of, in their books, in their writings in the New Testament. Jesus Christ himself quoted at least six different times from the first 11 chapters. So if you don't believe that understanding the beginning is important, the evidence from Jesus Christ and those New Testament authors, that should be enough to convince us this is important. They were still talking about it thousands of years later. No, creation, man, woman, sin. You get the beginnings of all of these things. And, and, it, and it's appropriate that it's called Genesis because the title Genesis comes from a translation of a Hebrew word, which literally means the beginning. Genesis means origin. It means birth. It means source. 
So as you read Genesis, you realize this book really does pre present the beginning of all of those important themes, of all of those important doctrines and teachings of God. In written form, God is revealing the beginning of those things like creation and sin and man and woman and marriage and the Sabbath and family relationships and labor and murder and civilization and culture and worship and nationalities and languages and redemption. We see the origin of all of those kinds of things, the source of those things, the birth of these big ideas that are foundational to our faith, and we see them first mentioned in the book of Genesis. But one thing that we don't often consider is that this book had an original target audience. This book was written for a certain people, and, and their situation parallels much of what we deal with today. You see, Genesis was written to people who needed to go back to the beginning. They needed to get back to God so they could clearly understand life within the context of God. The book of Genesis was written by Moses. Maybe in your Bible it says this. It does above the title Genesis. It says the first book of what? First book of Moses. It does in my Bible. I'm sure many Bibles do. As a matter of fact, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, the five books of the law, the, the Pentateuch. There are some who try to cast doubt on Moses as the author, and I don't pay much attention to them because of a verse like Jesus said in John 5, 46, when he said, for had ye believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. Or who's going to dispute the words of Jesus Christ? Luke 24, 27 says, and beginning at Moses, this is talking about Jesus Christ, it says, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures, uh, in all the scriptures, uh, all the things concerning himself. So Jesus Christ used the books of the law, and the Bible calls them the books and writings of Moses. There should therefore be no doubt in a Bible believer's mind that Moses wrote Genesis through Deuteronomy. It's clear. But the second major question when you're reading and trying to get an idea of the purpose of a passage or the purpose of a book, they teach you this. They say, ask who wrote it. But they also teach you, ask, who was it written to? Who's the target audience? And if Moses wrote it, it only makes sense then that it was written for the Jews coming out of bondage from Egypt. These books, Genesis through Deuteronomy, were not written for the New Testament church, although they certainly apply to the New Testament church, but they were written for Israel as Israel was coming out of bondage from Egypt and wandering in the wilderness until God gave them, uh, it put, put them into the promised land. So just a background on these people that had been in bondage. The Jews had gone to Egypt. I'm sure most of you know the history of, of this story. They had gone to Egypt during the Great Famine after Joseph had risen to prominence. Exodus 1 tells us that Joseph died, but the children of Israel or Jacob had multiplied and grown from a family of about 70 or 75 into a vast nation, probably millions. When you, you could read about this in the book of Exodus. We're not going to do it today, but the Egyptians had a new king. A new king arose, and, and this new king did not know Joseph. So he started looking around, and he's realizing that this, this nation that came in with just 70 or, or 70 plus, um, they had now suddenly multiplied. And Exodus 1 talks about how they had been fruitful and multiplied. And I mean, you know, Father Abraham had many sons. You know, that was happening. He was watching it happen. 
He was looking around, and this new king that did not know Joseph, Exodus 1 says, he's looking around and he's thinking, if we're not careful, they're, they're mightier than we are. There's more of them than we, are, than we are, and if we're not careful, their might will overtake us. We've got to do something about this. And so that new Pharaoh's answer to subduing the children of Israel there in Exodus 1 was to enslave them. That's exactly what they did. They enslaved the Israelites, and they ended up in Egypt for about 430 years. By the time Moses came on the scene, uh, generations, folks, 430 years. By the time Moses entered the scene, generations of Israelites had been raised as slaves in a pagan culture. So they came in with their Jewish religion and their Jewish tradition and their Jewish mindsets intact but after 430 years, as you can imagine, there's, there's really no way that 430 years as a slave in a foreign country, a pagan culture, that wouldn't start to affect your thinking. It was affecting them. We'll see that here. I mean, as, I mean later, they were influenced by Egyptian worship. They were influenced by Egyptian customs and the Egyptian diet and the Egyptian way of life for over 400 years you can't help but be affected by it if you're living in it and working around it every day. And some of you, you work in an environment every day around people that don't believe like you do about Jesus Christ. And they don't believe like you do about God. They don't even accept what you say about God. They don't believe the Bible. They, they, they may not even believe in God. And every day, many of you are working around people that don't believe like you do. And if you're not careful, just being immersed into the culture will start to affect the way that you think. It will affect your mindset. You can't help but be around it without it spilling over into the way that you operate. I mean, for, for example, there were, there were over 2,000 names of gods, little g gods in ancient Egypt. And many of them were represented by animals like the cat who represented the goddess of entertainment or Ra, the god of the sun, represented by a man with a falcon head and a cobra on top of that. Heket was a goddess of childbirth. She was representing, represented by a frog. And in case you, you don't think the Egyptian mindset started to affect Israel, we could turn over to Exodus 32 and read this account how when Moses was up in the, in the mountain, he was up on the top of the mountain with God getting the Ten Commandments and, and he was up there for longer than the children of Israel thought he should be. It's just a little bit later, uh, a little bit after the Red Sea crossing, not long after. He's up there too long. And they're saying, well, Moses is not coming back down. We haven't seen him. So they go to Aaron and they say, Aaron, Moses' brother, they said, let's, let's worship. So they give, him, they give him their earrings and their gold. And, and Aaron takes the earrings and the gold and all the, all the, the precious jewelry and he melts it down and he forms, what does he form? A golden calf. He forms this golden calf and the children of Israel, uh, when Moses and Joshua are coming back down from the mountain, they hear this sound and Moses thinks it's the sound of war or Joshua, one of the two, I can't remember, one, one of them says it's the sound of war, the other one says, no, that's singing that I hear. And they come down and they find the children of Israel dancing around a golden calf and making music and making merry, and it says they were naked. And you don't realize the effect of the Egyptian culture 
on the children of Israel coming out until you realize that one of the Egyptians, God, Egyptian gods was named Hathor, the goddess of love and joy and music and dancing. And guess what, it, what animal was represented by it? A cow. So you start to realize that the children of Israel wandering around in that, in that desert, in that wilderness, they were affected by the culture. They were affected by the mindset. So here's Moses tasked with his brother Aaron to go into Egypt and lead them out and lead them to the promised land. And it's, not just, it's just not that easy. And in some ways, it's a little bit like raising children. See, when you first have a child and you bring it home, you think, all I have to do is teach it to do right, to teach, him, teach her to do the right things. But you realize before too long, no, you're not just putting stuff in. You've got to take a bunch of stuff out. Because every child is born with a sin nature, as we heard in Sunday school from Brother Ledoux this morning. It's not just a matter of downloading some programs. You've got to wipe the hard drive clean. I mean, they're born sinners. And when Moses and Aaron went into Egypt to lead them out, they probably thought, okay, this is, we'll, we'll just lead them out and lead them to the promised land. They didn't realize along the way they had to reprogram a nation. Moses had to change their mind about a lot of things. He had to reintroduce them and, and get out of their minds all of the little G gods and take them back to the beginning, capital G, God. This God, Jehovah, that had seemingly ignored them for 400 years, he'd been silent. They cried unto him, it says over there in Exodus, and by reason of their bondage, their cries came up to the Lord. And finally, as they're passing through the Red Sea on dry ground, and, and they're watching Pharaoh and his armies be overcome by the waves, and, and they're thinking, man, this is going to be good. Moses and Aaron think, well, finally, this is going to be easy, until you realize just a little bit later, maybe the next day, they're all complaining about Moses. And they're all complaining about God, and they're complaining about how things used to be. What were they looking back to? They were looking back to Egypt. They were looking back to the culture that they had grown accustomed to. They were looking back to the things that they were comfortable with. And then not long after that, they were making a golden calf. See, God's people came out of Egypt with Jewish bodies, but in many ways they had Egyptian hearts. And they needed a reminder of where they came from. They needed to know where it all began. And I believe it was during that time frame that after, after Egypt, in the wilderness, uh, I mean, they had lots of time, apparently. You know, the cloud would park or the pillar of fire would park, wherever it was, that's where they stayed. If it moved, they moved. But I believe that it's during this time that the God, the Spirit, moved in Moses to write about their history. Because he was trying to reprogram the mindset and the hearts of a nation. He wrote about generations. He gave them a timeline. And if you'll read over in Exodus 1, you see about Joseph's generation ended. But, jo but, but Moses wrote about generations and gave them a timeline that traced all the way back to where? To the beginning. Those Israelites were the first to read these words. In the beginning God. And as they were exiting Egypt, exiting out of Egypt, God was pulling Egypt out of them. Because they had lost sight of the beginning. You know, you know they'd heard about the beginning. I, I'm sure they knew some about creation. I knew, I'm sure they knew about the flood and maybe they understood how God had called Abram out of his homeland to come to the promised land. I mean, they knew the stories. Oral tradition had been passed on, I'm sure. 
Maybe they had some small glimpses, but they didn't even realize their perspective on life was not being viewed with clarity. This pagan world viewed with multiple gods, that was their new lens. That was how they were thinking. They had started the book halfway through. They would come in halfway through the episode, and they missed the beginning, and therefore everything was skewed. Moses wrote Genesis for people who'd been influenced by their bondage. He was trying to get them back to the foundation so they could start building the rest of their lives on something strong. He was trying to get them back to the beginning so they could make sense of their lives. He was taking them back to the beginning so they could see that, no, there's just one God, and he's the only one that can bring clarity to the confusion. And because of their background, they wandered in that wilderness, and they struggled with things like immorality. They struggled with things like idolatry. They struggled with having a proper view of marriage and children. They needed something. They needed someone to make sense of it all again. And Moses knew that starting at the beginning would bring them back to the most important thing they could know about. God. God himself. Folks, it's no different for us. If you're trying to understand life in this culture in the culture that you've been placed in, the culture that you're living in, and if you're trying to understand it all without grasping the beginning, you will not have clarity. In order for us to fully understand something like sin or marriage or worship, we have to start at the beginning. But not just the beginning of the first marriage, not just the beginning of the first mention or promise of redemption. No, remember, this is a study of God. If you want all of those things to come into clarity, He's the one in the beginning. If you're going to make sense of your life, don't open the book halfway through. Don't start watching 30 minutes in. Go to the beginning, because in the beginning is where you will find God. We live in a world full of people that have skipped the beginning, and they're trying to live their lives by starting at a chapter in the middle. You look at around you in this culture, you're going to see a world, not just a world, you'll see a country, you'll see a, a community, you'll see a a family, and you'll even see individuals that are trying to make sense of it all, and they're trying to answer questions about things like creation and the purpose for man's existence. They're trying to answer questions like what's right and what's wrong. They're trying to answer questions about human sexuality. They're trying to answer questions about gender definitions, redemption from sin, who Jesus Christ is, what does the cross mean, so on and so on. But rather than trying to understand those things from the beginning, within the context of where it all started, they've skipped the beginning, and they're trying to figure out life and all these things and make sense of it all on their own without understanding the very beginning. Rather than going to the central character, the source of life, the creator God himself, the one who's all, who it's all about, they've bypassed the foundation and they've started building on shaky ground. They've skipped the beginning and they're trying to tackle the issues of life in their own wisdom and in their own understanding. And friends, when that happens, you see the kinds of things that are present in our culture. No wonder we're so full of confusion about the basics. Because we're trying to make sense by starting somewhere without God. The only context in which the things of life make any sense is by understanding God himself. 
Skipping the beginning has led to a mess and it's spiraling out of control. Without God, none of it has much meaning. Genesis itself is the same way. I mean, you think about all the things that Genesis is and and it is many things. I, I think about the fact that it's a book of generations. In other words, it's kind of split into these units, these, these thought units, and it starts, there's, there's time frames. And you have the generation of, of God or heaven at the beginning. You've got Adam, the generation of Adam, and you've got the generation of Noah, and it skips down to where you've got the generations of Terah and Abraham, and you've got Isaac and Jacob, the generations. It's time frames. It's kind of cut into slices of times. And as important as it was for the children of Israel to know their family tree, None of it mattered if they had stopped at Adam. If they had traced their roots back to Adam and said, that's where it all began. Even that doesn't provide clarity because there's one more generation before that, and that is God. If they had stopped at Adam, it wouldn't make sense. Listen, without God in the line of the generation, it was empty history. Folks, the only sense to make out of the mess of life is to keep God in it. Family problems are too big. Health issues are overwhelming. Spiritual battles are, are bigger than you can handle. Salvation, I'm just thinking about salvation. Your eternity, listen, there may be somebody in here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior and you don't know what the future holds. And Jesus Christ is God's Son and He died on a cross that we sang about this morning and your only hope for your future to have a good ending is to let him step into your timeline. If you're looking back on your life and you're looking at your timeline and, and you're thinking about the markers in your history, and if you're looking around and looking that way and you're looking back and you're saying, well, I don't really see God anywhere in the time frame. I don't see God in my timeline up to this point. Then you're, you have no future. Because if God's not in your past, you don't have a good future. You need to look back and see, has there ever been a moment where God inserted himself or where you accepted God into your timeline and he stepped into your life through Jesus Christ and you can look back and say, that's the moment I was saved? Or is it, is it just one of those things you kind of hope is there? You know, you need to be able to look at your timeline and see Jesus Christ if you want to have any hope for a good future. The book of Genesis is a book of generations and it gives us timelines and it gives us time frames and we see this person and this person and this person and as Israel was reading it and they're like, oh, okay, this is the one that came before, uh, before I, I, Abraham and you know, this is the one that came at this point in time. Oh, after Noah, then it was the sons of Noah and Shem, okay, now I see this. I didn't really understand that before. Now they've got it in writing. They're reading it for the first time. And as they're reading it, it's giving them hope because they're like, oh, there's Abram, I recognize that name. And oh, there's that generation and Noah, and I recognize that. Oh, and then there's, oh, then there's Adam. If it had stopped there, how much hope would they have for the future? But it went one further and it said in the beginning, God. And that's when they realized, oh, okay, he's involved in this. Therefore, we have our past because God is there gives me hope for the future. So the book is a book of generations, but without God, it's just a timeline. The book of Genesis is a book of blessings and curses. 
It doesn't take long to read that you realize in the book of Genesis it's very clear as we in Genesis 3 we could go there and look at Adam and Eve disobeying God. If you obey and do right, life is good. But if you don't, life is tough. And that's not a lesson I have to teach you this morning. If you've lived any kind of life at all, if you've been around at all, you know when you make good decisions, life is good. When you make bad decisions, life is tough. I'm not saying that it's always easy, and I'm not saying there aren't trials that come along. But I mean internally, when you do right, you're good with God. Genesis is a book of blessings and curses, and th- but that's only important to know if you acknowledge that God's the one behind the blessings and curses. See, it's not just a matter of chance. Creation was a specific plan made by a supernatural God. And when he creates, it's good. When he's involved, it's good. But then man steps in and ruins all of it. See, none of that is significant if you don't acknowledge God at the beginning. Genesis is also a book of good and evil. And sometimes, you know, I'll I'll be honest, sometimes I look around and I think man's evil is too much to overcome. And I think about my children. I've got uh, one in here this morning. I think about my children. I think about their future. And yet I think about all the evil. And I look, just look at Genesis and you realize, I mean, just after God created, I mean, even in a perfect environment, Adam and Eve They couldn't even resist the temptations of Satan and they fell in the garden in a perfect environment. That shows you the capacity for man's evil. I mean, they had a son and his name was Cain, one of the first children ever born on planet Earth. And guess what he became? A murderer. You read in just a couple generations later, there's a man named Noah and he's climbing into an ark, just him and his family. And they were the only ones that God preserved because of all the evil on the earth. That's how evil man is. And if if you're not careful, if you don't include God in that picture, it becomes disheartening. When I think about the future of my children, I think, man, this is disheartening. Where our country is headed, it's disheartening, it's discouraging. I fear for them, but listen, God's good is greater than evil. He's bigger, he's more powerful, he's superior, but you don't know that if you don't go back to the beginning and realize that when he's just him creating, it's all good. See, knowing God is the only way to have hope in the face of evil. Genesis is a book marked by God um, making something out of nothing. It's a book where you see God over and over step in and there's nothing and then God steps in and he makes something out of it creation the earth was without form and void and yet God when he got his hands on it it became something else man was just dust in the ground and yet when God reached down and formed him out of the dust of the ground and that took the time to breathe into him the breath of life and that man became a living soul you realize that God can turn something make something out of nothing You realize that after the flood, you read it and you say there was nothing left after the flood. There's just a boat, a bunch of animals, and one family. And yet God turned that one family into something. He started over again. He can do that. He can look at our nothing and look at our brokenness and look at all that we've lost. I mean, I think about Jacob. Jacob had everything. And yet because of his poor decisions, he lost everything. But by the end of it, God named him Israel. 
Joseph, you talk about being at the lowest point you could be. He had, he'd had nothing left. He was in a prison. He'd been slowed, uh, sold by his own brothers. And yet God led him to preserve a nation and change the world. See, without God, we'd all be left with nothing. We'd all be at our lowest point. Only God can make sense out of your brokenness. We're all sinners. God, though, can turn it around at our, when we're at rock bottom. Everything that Genesis says, every person it introduces, every story it tells, it all goes back to God. He gives it all meaning. Friend, if you want your life to have meaning, you have to go back to the beginning. You have to trace it back to God to find the meaning for life. And if you believe we're just nothing more than products of evolution, we're just results of chance and we're living on this floating ball in a galaxy that just happened to explode into existence, that's a pretty empty perspective. You don't have anything beyond that. I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want to believe in evolution if for no other reason that I have no hope for anything better. But when you realize that God made it all, that it was him just speaking and the universe was coming into creation and he was creating the heaven and the earth and he was creating the stars and the trees and the mountains and the animals and the water, he was the one doing it, then suddenly what you used to think has no hope and no purpose and no meaning, once God got involved, suddenly there's purpose. Suddenly there's meaning because you went back to the beginning... And found God. And you realize he's part of the story. If you want your life to have meaning, if you, then only God can give meaning to our existence. If you're struggling with bondage to sin, like many, many people do, and you're like Israel coming out of Egypt, and you think there's no breaking of those strongholds, it's because you've missed the fact that in the beginning there's a God that created the heaven and the earth, and therefore there's no bondage unbreakable when you serve a God with that kind of power. <laughs> you have no hope if you don't believe that God was involved. If you're struggling with a life situation and you think God has abandoned you, then you have forgotten that from the beginning God loved mankind so much that he breathed into him the breath of life and now all of us bear the image of God. He loves you greater than you and I could ever understand. And as if that wasn't enough, after he took the time apart from all the other creation, we're the only ones that he breathed his life into. And if, if that's not a proof of his love, then years later, after we'd been in bondage to sin for all that time, he, he reached down again, but this time with his son, Jesus Christ. He sent him to die on a cross in our place for our sin. And once again, he breathed new life into dust. He gave us hope where there was none before. Amen. When God steps in, there is life and there is hope. But you have to go back to the beginning. See, it's not just finding him. You can know him. And if you're here this morning and you're saying, I want to make sense of life, I want to be saved, I, I want to grow, I want to be blessed, I want to have peace, I want to take some spiritual steps, then go back to the beginning so you can know God. 
Jeremiah 9 says, Let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. But go back to the beginning of that phrase when it said, Let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. You know, your highest calling in life is to know God. The greatest decision you'll ever make, the best choice you'll ever have is to go to know the one who knows about life. You need, there are people in this room right now, everybody in this room, but especially those who are not finding their way and they're not making sense of life, go to the one that knows about life. He's the only one who makes sense of it all. He's the only one who can bring it into perspective. He's the only context that brings meaning and hope. So know God through his word. Just like Moses was trying to get the children of Israel to do. Go back to the beginning. Start with God. He wants to know you. He wants to, do you hear that? He wants to know you. Stop trying in your own way and trying to figure it all out without him being involved. Stop trying to open the book halfway and trying to figure out what it all means. Don't come in halfway through the episode and try to make sense of it all. No, let everything in your life start with knowing God and he is found in the beginning. Parents, the best parenting advice you'll ever hear is know God. Husbands and wife, the best marriage advice that you could ever receive is know God. Children in here, you want to be content, you want to have a good relationship with your parents, the best advice I can give you today is go back to the beginning, know God. We've got employees in here that you want to do the best you can in your workplace. You know the best way to be the best employee you can be is to know God. We've got singles in this room and you're not married and and there's no prospect and, and you're wondering if you'll ever have a story like we told at the beginning about that couple that's all smiles and talking about their beginning. There's hope. For some of you. But listen, you want to be content even in your situation as a single person? Know God. There's some senior saints in here. I was meeting with Brother Halverson just this week. Curtis Halverson, he had a stroke on Friday night. Pray for him. He's doing pretty well, but pray for him. I love when I walk in the church and I see him and he's got the biggest smile on his face and he's happy and he's content and he's pleasant. I was talking to Brother Ellis just now too. Same thing. I just love to see the smiles on their face. And you know, some people might say, well, you know, they're getting up in years and they don't have much more to do. But you know, when you know God, even that situation in life, when you know God, you can be content and have peace and be happy and be a blessing and be an encouragement even as an older person. When you know God, it gives your life meaning. The most peaceful people I've ever met know God. Start with God. Know God. Know the one who knows about life. Why would you go to a source with somebody that doesn't really know what they're talking about? One interesting thing about this book is even though it's the book of beginnings, Genesis, there's one beginning it's never been able to explain. It's inadequate. And before you think that I'm a, I'm a bad preacher and I'm a bad person for casting doubt on the Bible, 
No, there's one beginning it's never been able to explain, and that is the beginning of God. See, it simply says, in the beginning, God. Why is that? Well, because God is not created. He's eternal. Psalm 90, verse 2. We read this last night in men's prayer meeting, which I think you ought to come to that, guys. Come and pray for the services on Sundays. Last night in men's prayer meeting, we read this verse. It says, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world. This is Moses talking. Even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. We were reading that last night, and I was getting excited because I'm about to talk about Genesis, and, and I'm reading about how he says, before, uh, the, before you created the mountains and before anything was formed, thou art from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. And I was excited, and then I looked up under, under the heading and realized it was written by Moses. See, sometime in the wilderness, God had revealed some things to him that nobody else had ever really heard. And he had wrapped his mind around the fact that God is eternal. And he can't be explained. He can't be necessarily proven, although there's plenty of proof. There's evidence. But, you know, you, you can't really measure him, is what I'm saying. And here's Moses writing, before the mountains, you're everlasting. You didn't have a beginning, God. And that first phrase of Genesis 1 is a declaration. We're not ha- we, it's not trying to explain anything. It's not trying to give us something to interpret. God is not explained. He simply is. And I know that's cause for endless debate, but hear me out. I know it's cause for endless debate, and we have a tough time wrapping our minds around that, but honestly, that's a good thing. I read one time somebody wrote this, if God were small enough to be understood, he would not be big enough to be worshipped. If God were small enough to be understood, he would not be big enough to worship. So listen, the fact that God is difficult to understand or explain is okay. It gives us confidence that he's greater than anything we have to face. If I could measure him with a measuring stick and I could kind of put numbers to God, he wouldn't look quite as big when a trial comes my way. He wouldn't look quite as big when I'm facing a situation I don't know how to get out of. He wouldn't look quite as big. But the fact that he has no beginning, the fact that he was not created, the fact that he's from everlasting to everlasting means there's nothing that comes my way in life that I don't have somebody to turn to that has an answer for it. There's no trial too big. There's no financial need too great. There's no health need that's, that's too scary. There's nothing bigger than what God can handle. He is immeasurable and eternal. There's nothing that he doesn't have the answer for. So what's the cause of endless debate should actually give us great confidence. Yeah, of course I can't explain God. I'm not supposed to. Amen. He's outside of anything I've ever understood or can even put into words. He's not even created. But that's a good thing because that means he's greater than anything I face. So we have a resource. It's more capable of handling than anything we could possibly need. So make sense of your story and go back to the beginning. In the beginning, God. Get answers in spite of this pagan culture you're you're raising your kids in. Go back to, in the beginning, God. 
Give your, your, your problems to someone bigger than yourself. In the beginning, God, find the peace you thought was impossible this morning. Where? In the beginning, God. Know the one who knows about life. In the beginning, God. Start there. You know, the great thing is, we were talking about timelines this morning, and you say, well, boy, I've really blown it so far. I've really messed it all up. Did you know that you can start your timeline over anytime you want? Because wherever God is inserted, it starts something new. And this morning, you say, you don't even know the mess I'm in, and you don't know the mess I've made, and you don't have any idea where I'm coming from. That's fine. Your past doesn't matter nearly as much as your future, but your future will never change unless you let God step into your timeline. And today, January 26, 2020, you could look back and say, my timeline, that's really when my life began. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior and be saved this morning, God, let God insert himself. If you want to get something right with your husband or wife, let God insert himself and start something new. If you want to say, I've not been very committed to God's house, start new today, let God insert himself. You want to say, I'm bound to sin and nobody knows about it. Yeah, that can change. Your future could be different. Let God insert himself into your timeline this morning. Know God. Go back to the beginning. It doesn't have to be hopeless. Your future's bright if God's in it. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.